official Adam Sank Show merchandise at adamsank.com. T-shirts, tank tops, mugs, masks, just about everything you can think of emblazoned with the Adam Sank Show logo. Go to adamsank.com to order your merch today. Thank you. Warning. The program you're about to hear contains highly offensive and indecent material. This is the Adam Sank Show. If it's in my hand, I'm going to suck it. Powered by DNR Studios. And now... The one, the only, Adam Sank! Bottom. Yes, I forgot to mention last time we shortened the opening uh, because it had been two years. And I felt like you had all heard that long ass opening enough times. It really it goes on for ninety seconds. It's too long, so we uh, we abbreviated it. And unfortunately, you no longer get to hear Gail saying, "I think your butt is telling you, no mas por favor." But you can go back and listen to the one hundred episodes in which she did say it. Welcome to the Adam Sank Show. We're not live, but this is a brand new episode. If you're listening at 11 a.m. Eastern on Saturday, July 11th, 2020 at dnrstudios.com, the only place you can hear this podcast live and throughout the week that it first airs. If you listen elsewhere, please leave ratings and reviews. It's been a long time since we've gotten a new review. Uh, email me anything you want at adam at adamsank.com. Like the Facebook page, download the comedy albums, and most of all, if you haven't yet, Go to adamsank.com and check out all of the fabulous ass merchandise. We have t-shirts, tank tops, mugs, coronavirus masks, even a magnet for your fridge. A fagnet, if you will. (laughs) Uh, Once again, everything's at adamsank.com. Podcast award nominations are now open. I am determined that we be nominated this year as we were two years ago. Please go to podcastawards.com and uh, there's a quick registration process. It's free. They won't spam you. Nominate us in the Feast of Fools LGBTQ category and the Adam Curry People's Choice Award category. My mother emailed me. She goes, who is Adam Curry? And I was like, he was an MTV VJ from the 80s, and I have no idea why they named an award after him. I also don't like the name of the LGBTQ category, but you know what? But we still want these awards. Beggars, crystal choosers. Exactly. We have an actual guest today. He's going to be on the phone, but it's going to be a nice, clear connection, unlike the phone interviews we were doing for so many weeks. His name is Stephen Robello. He's the author of a brand new book entitled Dolls, 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 Deep Inside Valley of the Dolls, the most beloved bad book and movie of all time. That is the full title. We'll be talking to him a little later in the hour, but first I need to uh, welcome back to the studio everyone's favorite stink pot, Ms. Ryan Frostig. Hello, it's me. Ryan biked to the studio today, and it's quite humid here in New York yeah. City, and she was ripe when she walked through the doors. Mm. I just smelled myself. She doesn't believe in deodorant. No. That's correct. I'm wearing natural deodorant right now, because Which Adam requested work. that I apply it, and... Um, I think I smell great. Gross. Uh, it is gross. Thank you, JB. JB is also here with Fuck us, as always. Um, we are expecting a special guest in studio. We are. And um, hopefully that guest um, arrives. It's a surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, surprise, motherfucker. <laughs> wait, where is that? Uh, I don't have that on my board. Yeah, it's on, it's on another board. I need that, and I need bottom added to my board. We all need a bottom. Bottom. Where am I? Okay. I thought you were going to play the sound effect, JB. I thought so, too, but clearly I lost it. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. I'm sorry. Okay, I got it. I got it. I, I'm he- Bottom. I'm here in studio. <laughs> oh, well. The show is starting out on a high note. Um, okay. So we're going to actually start with a, uh, a, 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 a new chapter in the Leah Michelle is Secretly Mean series and uh we have not yet recorded the bumper so ryan and i are now going to uh perform it live uh ryan you pick the first note Mm. ready she starred on tv's glee for six long seasons her co-host hated her for many reasons but now they're speaking out leah michelle's a bitch still got it thank you the lyric is castmate Yes, I fucked up because I wasn't. I was doing it from memory. Ryan was actually reading. I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. He's a much more professional performer mm-hmm. than I am. Okay, so I have to say I feel a little guilty doing stories about Leah Michelle once I found out that she's eight months pregnant. <gasps> this is not a good time 
to be dragged through the mud on social media. You betcha that when we were gone. I was like, nope, it's perfect time. Who cares? I mean, yeah, it doesn't make her a good person, but it does. I mean, that's really fucking tough to be pregnant under quarantine, too. But anyway. Pregnant people are nice. Okay, my mom was pregnant. She was not nice. JB's mom, if you're listening. Call in at 844. No, actually, you can't call in. We're not live. But send us your rebuttal. Um, so another one of Leah Michelle's former co-stars has uh, come to the tea party and spilled the whole pot all over the tablecloth. And I actually know who this is. He used to live in New York. We used to go to the same gym. I used to oogle, oogle him from afar. Oh. He was always very friendly, but we never did it. Uh, his name is Craig Ramsey. He is a muscle queen, best known for appearing on Newlyweds the first year. And he worked with Michelle back in the early 2000s on the Broadway revival of Fiddler on the Roof, oh. along with Francis, Francis Tumacaris, a fellow chorus member who talks like this because he's from Greece. <laughs> anyway, uh, Friend of the pod. sexy Craig Ramsey, who I want to get on this podcast and in my mouth, uh, was, he was speaking to David Yontif on the podcast Behind the Velvet Rope. He did not hold back when asked about working with Leah Michelle in Fiddler. He said, um, I think she's a despicable, horrible human being. Oof. And I think she's lost touch with reality. He continued, we were in Fiddler together. Rosie is awesome. Rosie O'Donnell played um, Golda. Mm-hmm. I still talk to her. She's a huge mentor and I respect her, how she's been able to survive and thrive with all the nonsense that was tossed at her. But as far as Leah Michelle is concerned, I think she's one of the most entitled people I've ever come across in the business. Ramsey recalled the day Michelle landed her career-changing role on Glee. I was there when she got the call, and I think the entitlement just came over her body. She was possessed with this from that moment on. He went on to explain that the two of them moved from New York to L.A. around the same time. They remained friends, but he says her sense of entitlement and self-aggrandizement quickly got out of hand. He said, I cared for her greatly. But the amount of entitlement, I've never seen the likes of it, especially Broadway. You can't mess with Broadway. You can get a reputation very quick if you don't respect where you come from. He says, Michelle is talented, but that doesn't matter if no one wants to work with you. Um, we won't recap all of the other people who've come forward to say that uh, she's a terrible person. But um, the other new story is that, according to Star Magazine, her marriage is on the rocks, too. Oh, my oh God. My God. <laughs> Maybe that's why she got pregnant. She and thought she, a baby would save her marriage. She also um, lost, uh, what's his name? Not Corey so Monteith. long ago, so she yeah. really has right. been... She was with Corey Monteith, yeah. her co-star on Glee, who died was... of a heroin overdose. Yes, right. The, you know... After he was supposed to be clean, apparently. The Glee cast has not fared very well. Two of them are dead. Corey Monteith is dead of a heroin overdose. The guy who played Puck, that hot guy, mm-hmm. was uh, accused and charged with child pornography and yes. wound up killing himself. Right. And Leah Michelle is now officially canceled. Um, but anyway, the star says that like her marriage to Zandy, his name is Zandy, Zandy Reich is on Damn, the rocks. Zandy. <laughs> uh, she's allegedly distraught with her that her good girl image has been destroyed and has become short-tempered and hormonal. I mean, I don't think she was ever long-tempered. Nope. Um, but gossip. Uh, this was on Gossip Cop. Gossip Cop says they're not defending Leah Michelle's behavior. But that doesn't mean that her marriage is really falling apart. Gossip Cop checked in with a mutual friend who told us the story was false, adding that Leah Michelle and Zandy Reich are stronger than ever and so excited about the new baby. Zandy! That sounds like an official... (laughs) What voice is that? You know, uh, John Travolta in Greece? (laughs) Zandy, no! (laughs) Oh, Zandy, baby. Zandy. <laughs> yeah, I Leah thought you were doing Michelle the... Is you, sound, you sounded like you were doing the voice of Davy and Goliath. Did you ever watch that show growing up? I think no. it was before your time. So when I was little, on Sundays, there were, there were no children's shows except mm. for one that was produced by the, by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And it was about a boy and his dog. It was a claymation series called Davy and Goliath. Oh, okay. I think I know that. And Goliath was always like, but Davy. Oh, you mean with the brown dog, right? That would be wrong. Yes. Okay, then yes. Yes, I do. Sandy. Sandy. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, here's to wishing Leah Michelle a happy, healthy delivery. I would not wish otherwise on anyone, but I do hope that she um, grows as a human being. 
Yeah. And uh, I hope she's a good mother. I, I hope, hope that so motherhood too. humbles her a little bit. And I once again hope that Craig Ramsey ejaculates all over me. And here, for the first time in months, is a Cocktails and Cock Talk story with the bumper. Hit it, JB. And now, time for another stupid story from Cocktails and Cocktalk.com. Yeah, suck my cock. Here's a story that was made for our show. Uh, Cocktails and Cock Talk says, Cocktails and Cock Talk says that there is a guy on the London subway who has become notorious for falling asleep on the subway or pretending to be asleep while sporting a giant throbbing boner. Oh, hey. Oh. And they have both pictures and video. Uh, he wears these very tight, sort of stretchy black pants and has, I mean, if it's real, and some question whether it is, an enormous, enormous sausage going down one of his legs um, sometimes he's clearly hard. Other time it's just the bulge. Um, do you have to go get him? Okay. Ryan has to go get the, the mystery right guest. Um, there are a number of videos and images in existence. In each of them, he is once again sleeping or pretending to be sleeping. In one video, he's actually drooling. That'd be hard to fake. That's okay. That's a lot. But okay. But he clearly loves showing off his big cock. And let me just say, if I had a big cock... I'd be showing it off, too. I mean, that's great. Flaunt your stuff. As long as you're not doing anything nasty on a public train. I mean, I could see a lot of women being offended by it. Women don't really want to see guys' dicks I mean, if okay. they don't know them. But here's, here's my counterpoint. He's not touching himself or anything. It's just, no, it's just there. But you know when, when someone is wearing really obscene clothing, like okay, I do, like I do to show off my ass. Okay, but that's, that's like, we shouldn't talk about people's clothing because women also wear obscene clothing too. It's just Yeah, it's and, just and some way. people are offended by that. I mean, I say wear whatever the fuck you want. Agreed. And I'm happy to see a penis in public. Exactly. When if I you don't like it, it, look away. But, um, but yeah, this guy is clearly enjoying the, uh, the attention he's getting. And there's a real campaign out to identify who he is. Why? And, uh, leave, leave his, leave his dick Well, no, not, not necessarily to shame him, just to celebrate him and uh, learn a little bit more about him. I mean, I'll celebrate him down my throat. There you go. Thank you, JB. Do we have blowjob noise? It's not uh, on my board. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we have to get a new one. We do. This one sounds like, oh. Yeah. It's not giving me below job. The next time I'm blowing someone, I'm just going to ask them to record me on their phone um, so that uh, we can get new sound. Oh, okay. Uh, so our mystery guest has arrived. He has opted not to be on, uh, on microphone, but I will just tell you that it is Ryan's uh, boyfriend. Boy, Boy Wolf. Wolf. He is here. He just Welcome, from Brooklyn. Wolf. He is taking care of lady. Sweetie, if you don't want to be on mic, you don't have to, but you might want to put headphones on just so you can hear like the sound effects and stuff. Your call. Yeah. Right now he's playing with lady on the sofa and she's a very important. Could not be happier. Yes. Um, all right. So another cocktails and cock talk story is about um, public train wreck Chris Crocker. Oh, yes. Now, Leave Britney alone. Yes, Chris Crocker rose to internet fame with his Leave Britney Alone video. He's been through so many different incarnations. He's been like a kind of a femme boy. He's mm -hmm. been a, a, a hot butch porn star. Yes. He's been many things. He blocked me on Twitter a while back um, after he just was tweeting so much crazy shit. And I was like, Chris, please get help. And he was like, fuck you, and blocked me. And anyway, he's got like a million followers. He uh, was doing a live... OnlyFans stream. Oh boy! And in the middle of it, he had an accident. <laughs> this is so unfortunate. <laughs> no. Oh my goodness! That is so unfortunate and disgusting. He said, "It's <laughs> one thing to have." He posted to his Twitter account, "It's one thing to have an accident in private. It's another to do it in a live chat." The guy knows I didn't mean to poop on him. I did prepare, but I think it just goes to show that no matter how much you prepare before a scene, things can happen. We do question why Crocker didn't just mass message his OnlyFans followers to apologize rather than posting it to his entire Twitter. But with the wild and unpredictable content that he's posted on social media pages before, including being involved in a race play blackmail threat, and some bizarre tweets about going to rehab. We wouldn't be surprised if this was another ploy for promotion, although we're not, we're not sure scat 
is the way to promote your content most efficiently? Probably not. Yeah. It's a weird one. It did, however, spark a number of warm, comforting responses from his followers telling him shit happens. Yeah, girl, I went through that. Time I cleaned, cleaned for an hour, and it still happened. Yeah, but you were not live on the internet streaming your sex out to the world. You're right, because I am, no one deserves to see this for free. I feel like it's very, it's, it sounds very on brand for him. I think I wouldn't be surprised if the whole thing was set up. Yeah. Now I'm not. He's a major. By the way, I'm not paint shaming. He no. shamed his own paint. Exactly. Uh, also, um, this is one reason why you never want to stream live anal sex. I mean, I understand OnlyFans people make a lot of money putting their sex videos up, but like, pre-record that shit. Yeah. yeah. Edit it. Do it properly. Because. Shit does happen. I mean, I listen. I'm clean. We're all human. I'm clean like 95 percent of the time that I get fucked. But every once in a while, when I least expect that it, five percent, they'll sneak up on you. Meanwhile, this is an old story. <laughs> I love that sound effect because there's a long it delay on and on between and the first and, and second and shit. Right now, lady is in heaven. Lady she's sitting on Boy <laughs> Wolf's lap, living her best life. She looks like she's on microphone. This is the calmest she's been yeah. all day. Paul, we need you here every week to be ladies' handler. Um, this is a very old story that I saved for, for just such an occasion as today. A Michigan man has been accused of starting a riot inside a gay bar after going on a butt-grabbing rampage. Oh, my goodness. Uh, wait, what? <laughs> this happened in Royal Oak, Michigan. And actually, it happened... I told you it was a, an old story. It happened four days before Christmas. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's really of the moment. At Soho a popular gay bar in Ferndale, Michigan. Who knew there were gay bars in Ferndale? 75-year-old John Coleman allegedly grabbed a man's butt twice before punching his friend in the face and then offering him money for sex. Uh, Oh, no. This started a fight that had everyone inside the establishment throwing punches at one another. So uh, more recently, like a month ago, Coleman had a video hearing with the Ferndale District Court after being arraigned back in March. According to police, an unarmed 37-year-old man was enjoying drinks with his friend when Coleman approached him and immediately got handsy with him. A sergeant said, quote, Mr. Coleman twice grabbed the victim's buttocks without permission. You know, I don't mind when people grab my buttocks without permission. As long just as they don't... Cute. Just don't squeeze my nipples. Oh, well, yeah. I fucking hate that. You can grab my butt. The victim's friend intervened and told Coleman to stop. At that point, the friend claims Coleman socked him in the face. After punching the man's friend, he allegedly propositioned the 37-year-old for sex. This sounds like a messy, messy night. He's now charged with fourth-degree criminal sexual conduct, which could uh, land him in prison for two years. His attorney did not request return request for comment. I mean, sounds like he had conflicting impulses. Yeah, there's a lot going on. I mean, look, I love butt-grabbing just as much as the next homosexual. Yeah. I love having my butt grabbed. Um, what's what about a stranger? Than, like yeah. if you're out and about so and about some my, stranger just grabs your ass, how do you feel about that? I mean, consent is a beautiful thing. <laughs> so <laughs> I, Boy Wolf is shaking his yeah, head. Yeah, no. he says no. I, I would say that as, uh, consent is cool. So lead with that. And um, then we can all be cool. For, for the single people <laughs> of the room, um, if you grab my butt, make sure you're cute. And be like, hey. I think the problem with that is a lot of people think they're cute yeah. and then they're not. I, I definitely think that's a that's an epidemic. I mean, if you grab my butt, you <laughs> definitely have a cute boy confidence. So I'm going to talk to you. Mm-hmm. We'll see big what di- happens. Big dick energy. Right? Yes. Well, I've talked about this before. The, the only time I've ever faced real sexual harassment in my life is when I was a cocktail waiter at Barrage in my early 30s. And I was in much better shape. And my ass was not only very good, but also prominently displayed. I would wear, like, very tight, um, thin sweatpants with no underwear, that sort of thing. And I had people, like, I would bend down to pick up a drink, and a guy would stick his finger in my ass. Oh, my God. That's not okay. No. It doesn't feel good. And, like, I, can, I almost dropped a tray of glasses one time when someone did it. It's like, come on. Yeah, and you, of all people, definitely don't like... I'm not, I don't like anyone's fingers in my ass. Yeah. Fingering is wrong. Don't do it. You don't like it either, huh? Yeah, no, I'm not a vagina. The, the vagina <laughs> okay. has many holes and crevices. <laughs> now, listen... <laughs> When done correctly, I'm not a vagina. It is, JB Bercy. It is a it is a fun time, but if if it's not for you, then I don't no. like. You I know guess what you it is to fuck a lot of bass players, huh? If, <laughs> what? Want, if a if a oh hand if a, if a hand didn't have fingernails, I'd be happy to be fingered. 
I don't like the feeling I of understand. a fingernail in my anus. I just don't like the feeling of fingers in my anus. I rather a tongue or a dick. Love yeah, it. sure, sure, totally. sure. Meanwhile, Queer Tea has released its Pride 50 Top Entertainers of the Year, and I got excited because you know I love a list, mm-hmm. and I thought, yay, we get to go through a list of 50 people. No. Oh. Pride 50 refers to the fact that this was the 50th Pride. Oh. Yeah, that's confusing because we very thought misleading. that last year, Yes, but actually it's not the case. Well, so that, last year was the 50th anniversary of, of the Stonewall, Stonewall Uprising. This year's the 50th anniversary of the first Pride. Right. So in any case, there are only five Pride 50 performers that Queer T chose. And I will say that I knew who three of them were. Okay. That's not bad. Let's do a quiz. Okay. And uh, Boy Wolf, you can play along with sign language. Um, the first is Brian Michael Smith. I don't know her. Oh, no. All three of us says no. Even Lady is shaking her head. <laughs> oh, no. Brian Michael Smith is stars on a show called 911 Lone Star with Rob Lowe. I've never heard of this show. Doesn't exist. But he's gay. And he's one of the Pride 50 uh, performers. Trace Lizette. Yes. I do know who Trace Lizette is. She was just featured in... She was just featured Boy Wolf in, knows her too. Yes. And um, Disclosure, she was on Transparent. Yes. Yes. And also, more prominently, the Jennifer Lopez movie Hustlers. Oh, yeah. Which was a hit film. She's very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous. The next one we all know, I hope, India Moore. Yes. From Pose? Don't look this way. Oh. From Pose, JB? Oh, okay. See, I, I, I have to look at their faces. When I look at their faces, I know who we're talking about here. I-N-D-Y-A Moore. Okay, so one of the Tracy, stars of yes, also I know her. Yep. And Gorgeous. Yeah. Um, another trans actress on the list who I do know, Hunter Schaefer. She plays, the, she plays the blonde teenager oh. on Euphoria. Yes. I, I, I have not watched the show. You've you watched the show. She's I really it. terrific. She's one of these actors. Like, she's a real find. Yeah. She's such a natural actor. There's no artifice. She's yeah. just herself. And she's yeah. really compelling. I love that. And then the last one is my favorite one on this list. Jeremy Pope, Tony Award winner from Broadway's Choir Boy and Ain't oh, Too Proud, yes. recently starred in the Netflix series Hollywood. Oh, yes. As the screenwriter, mm-hmm. the gay screenwriter who winds up with Rock Hudson. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> anyway, um, I think it's kind of a random list. I'm not sure why, though. I mean, Jeremy Pope and, and India Moore, absolutely. I mean, it sounds like the sort of, like, you know, next generation of the moment um, list. Yes. Um, so, congrats. I accept that. I also only knew three of them. I had to look at their faces. You didn't so. make the list, Adam. I, once again, <laughs> I was left out. I've always... There's always next year, Always gal. ignored. I've never been in the, in the, um, the Out 100, mm-hmm. although Derek and Romaine have. Hmm. Uh, I've never been... I've never won anything. I've never been... Whenever they do like a list of... Um, you know, like gay comedians to watch out for. Never, never mentioned. As Raven once said to Tyra Sanchez on season two of Drag Race, shoot for the stars because you'll never be one. <laughs> That's right. Uh, no. Listen, I've accepted my place in the show business world. I'm a Z-list celebrity. The premier with, Z-list celebrity. With literally dozens of fans. <laughs> and um, they listen to this show and I love them for it. Yes. Adam Sank Show merchandise available at adamsank.com. Okay, here's another list. This one I've been saving for a long time, and I think Ryan will enjoy this because it's all about food. Yes. Um, and specifically, the 15 most overpriced foods on restaurant menus. Oh, God. This is according to a website I've never used before called cheatsheet.com. I went down an internet hole one night when I was high and somehow wound up on cheatsheet.com and 15 most overpriced food items. Uh, the first one is the cheese on your cheeseburger. The markup on that one slice of cheese that you're adding to your burger is 417%. Uh, wow. Because it's like an additional dollar or a dollar dollar $52. Some yeah. places it's even more. And it's cost them pennies. Wow. Uh, specifically, it costs them about 29 cents. Yeah. And that's if it's good cheese. Yeah. So, um, you know, bring your own cheese. <laughs> BYOC. <laughs> Welcome to 2020. Also, the burger itself is a pretty hefty markup. Um, a premium burger made with grass-fed beef at an upscale restaurant only costs $3.08 for a restaurant to make, but they'll charge you 
it says here $14. Try like $25 if you're in New York. Yeah. yeah. That's a 355% um, markup. Burgers expensive. Number two is Ryan's favorite food in the world, pizza. Yes. Now, pizza, I do love pizza. is pretty cheap regardless. Sure. So it's got a huge markup, but you're still not, uh, you know, you're still not going broke on it. There's a 580 to 636% markup on pizza. By the way, Americans eat an average of 23 pounds of pizza every year, and that's just Ryan. <laughs> that's just a week for Ryan. I haven't had pizza in so long. I'm not really craving it now. Uh, the average uh, pizzeria has a pro- the average pizzeria has a profit margin of 20. percent That's a huge profit margin for a restaurant. Most restaurants are only three to six percent. They have a tiny margin, but pizza is dough cheese and sauce sure yeah now here in new york as ryan well knows you can pay like you know upwards of ten dollars for a really gourmet fancy slice of pizza with lots of toppings you can also pay 99 cents for a perfectly delicious slice of cheese pizza here there's like different tiers of of pizza in new york like there's the there's tier one of like you know 99 cent classic new york pizza then you have tier two which is like Two ninety nine, three ninety nine. Mm-hmm. If you get, and then you've got like the bougie, 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 bougie artichoke pizza, those huge slices that cost like six, seven dollars. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, pizza toppings are a huge markup, five hundred and twenty five percent. The meat and vegetables that you add to your pizza um, probably cost the restaurant less than fifty cents each, but they're charging you. You know, two dollars, three dollars, four dollars extra. So once again, just keep things plain, you guys. Just keep it easy. Just keep it simple. Yeah. Another huge markup is appetizers. Oh God. When you go out to a restaurant and it's like, should we get some appetizers? Always. You are paying through the nose. And one of the things that's most marked up is calamari. Oh yeah. Now I don't have any interest in eating squid. I never did. But when you order calamari, you're not eating squid either. You're paying a lot of money for basically fried bread. There is so little squid in there. And whatever they are putting in, it's like the the shit of the Mm. squid. Um, Anyway, appetizers are small. They're cheap. And restaurants love when you order them. They're cheap to make, I mean. Uh, because they can charge like 15 bucks for an appetizer. Um, once That's again, get me wings. burritos, right. when you get a burrito, the extras are a huge markup between 285 to 426%. Pasta is a total ripoff. If you go out to a restaurant and order a bowl of pasta, you are ordering something that costs pennies Yeah, yeah. and paying upwards of 25 bucks. In New York, it's not uncommon to get a bowl of pasta for 25 bucks yeah. at a really good restaurant. That's why I don't eat pasta. Uh, well, see, I have to a lot of times because I'm vegan and sometimes it's the only thing on the menu that I can eat. Yeah. Um, but if you're, but, but if, if you were cooking it yourself at home, it would cost you $10 to feed your entire family with pasta. Oh yeah. Pasta costs $1.27 a pound. Tomatoes cost $1.90 a pound. Um, this is not an expensive thing. And yet, you know, when you get a really good, good plate of pasta at a restaurant, with a great sauce. It is Al delicious. Dente, that really good, good thick pasta, like a nice thick noodle. Like a ravioli. Oh, that like too. Like a pumpkin ravioli. And gnocchi. Gnocchi's so heavy. I love it. It is heavy, but it's, it's very easy to eat. Like, it's just very, like, you take one, two, three. I'd rather panine. Uh, the, Thank the, you for the, acting uh, that out. Three <laughs> different color panines. I like that because I like to make my own hand. Panine? But, yeah, I think it's so called. Hold on, I got like it. a panini? No, not like a panini. Oh. Uh, it's, it's like the tricolor pasta, this orange, green, yellow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like, I like that kind of pasta. Tor- it's Tortel- tortellini? Oh, yeah, that is tortellini. Yeah, tortellini. There we go. Yeah. Another huge markup item is eggs. Now, again, eggs don't cost a lot when you go to a diner mm. and get eggs for like four or five bucks. But um, they're very, very cheap to make. These are things you, could, you should make at home rather than going out and paying for them. Your $9 Denver omelet is marked up by 505 oh god um a dozen eggs only cost a dollar 41 12 cents an egg uh pancakes has a huge markup now this surprised me because when i think of pancakes i think of ihop 
Mm-hmm. And you can get a hell of a lot of food at IHOP for very little money. True. But apparently pancakes have a 900% markup. They are very cheap and easy to make. It's just flour and water, basically. A little bit of egg. But some places do like fancy pancakes where they have like, you know, like a little fruit topping or, you know. Sure. Some sort but of- fruit's cheap too. Yeah. A plate full of pancakes costs about a dollar to make and most restaurants will charge about $10 for it. Um, this one's interesting. The second cheapest bottle of wine on the menu. Not the cheapest, the second cheapest. Huh. Restaurants love to get you drunk. Compared to other menu items, there's very little labor involved in serving you wine, so they make a nice profit. Um, but people who don't know much about wine but don't want to look like a cheapskate will often order the second cheapest bottle on the list. By the way, I have no problem looking like a cheapskate, and I will always order the cheapest bottle. Agreed. Um, But those bottles, those second cheapest ones, have the highest markup. So you'll get a better deal if you either splurge and get one of the more expensive wines or if you get the absolute cheapest. I don't know how they figured this out. That sounds like bullshit to me. But speaking of alcohol, beer and cocktails have a massive markup. Mm -hmm. This is how restaurants make their money. Yep. The price of a glass of wine, I mean, you can pay $12, $15, $20, $30 for, for a glass of wine. The whole bottle costs less than that. Yeah, you can buy a bottle for $9. Absolutely. Especially when you, when, when you start ordering top-shelf liquor, mm-hmm. which I don't know that there's a difference between expensive vodka Very and cheap vodka. Well, and it's also like— Except for Hennessy. That's the only exclusion. Why Hennessy? Okay, so I, during recently in the quarantine, I have tried Hennessy. I was very against it, but there's something about Hennessy that has that nice, smooth barrel taste you don't get from any other cognac. So I guess Hennessy is worth its price, but I just think it's marked up because it's marked up to black people, so they want to mark it up higher. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, when you go to, like, when you go to a restaurant and you order a cocktail, um, it is typically like you know they put a ton of ice in it. Like there's all of those these tiny little glasses. Yeah, it's always like you're paying like in in some bars you're paying sixteen dollars for a cocktail. You want it to be mostly alcohol, but it's not going to be mostly. I'll alcohol. tell you what a cheap Jew I am. When I go out for a night of drinking, let's see if Paul can relate to this. I'll have a couple glasses of wine at home first. Mm. I'll get my buzz on before I do leave you, the house. Do you bring a flask? I have brought flasks. I'm a lightweight. I can't. Oh, he's talking. I don't think your mic is on. Oh, no. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm a lightweight too, but I just, the idea of spending, you know, 10 bucks on something that is, yeah. Anyway, the next one on the list is coffee. And I say this oh all the time. Do not buy your coffee out of the house. Make your own damn coffee. Coffee has a markup of between 300 and 2,900%. I am ashamed at the cost of of you could build a house with what you spend on coffee that's well, why i, I like, make my coffee in studio i mean cheap we usually yes we usually make coffee yeah we, we make coffee in the morning but like when i'm like during the day i like to have like you know some iced coffee a little pick me up and the place near my apartment that has the most amazing cold brew it's five dollars and you know how much that co- that coffee costs them to make it's about 28 cents yeah, yeah you can make that at home girl Sixty-six cents per cup if you use K cups. Um, Number thirteen is fish, Mm. especially sushi. Um, Sushi has a huge markup. Uh, It doesn't say how much exactly. Um, Here's one that is a huge, uh, very popular dish with people who are trashy, in my opinion: lobster mac and cheese. Yes. Now you may think you're getting a better deal on these dishes because they have a fancy ingredient like a lobster, but really the lobster in your mac and cheese is just the scraps from shells, not the prime flesh from the lobster tail. In other words, the restaurant has found a trick of squeezing a bit more profit from from their fucking leftovers Mm -hmm. and throwing it in your mac and cheese and charging a fortune for it. What you're eating is like 95% mac and cheese. So I'm planning to make me a shrimp mac and cheese. Because Ooh. shrimp is cheap. And if you make like it yourself, $10. you probably are getting a good deal. Yeah, totally. totally. So that's going to be on my list. I'll make that next week. Congratulations. So Let us know how that goes. And the last one on the list is Kobe beef. Kobe beef usually isn't Kobe beef. They just call it that. Um, you know, it comes with this huge price tag of uh, $100 or more per steak. But really, um, a lot of time it's just bullshit. And there's no way to prove that you're really getting Kobe beef. So that matters matters not to me as a vegan 
but it's good to know for you meat eaters out there. The more you As know. As a meat eater. And now it's time for our first guest segment since we've gone back to the studio. Uh, so here we go. After its publication in 1965, Valley of the Dolls shot up the New York Times bestseller list and stayed there a record-breaking 65 weeks, eventually becoming the best-selling novel in history. A year later, the movie version came out starring Barbara Parkins, Patty Duke, Sharon Tate, and Susan Hayward. It was critically savaged, but became an instant camp classic. Now the salacious stories behind both the novel and the film have been captured in a new book entitled Dolls, Dolls, Dolls. Deep inside Valley of the Dolls, the most beloved bad book and movie of all time, Kirkus Reviews calls it a blissful treasure trove of gossipy insider details that Dolls fans will swiftly devour. Please welcome to the ass, all the way from sunny Los Angeles, the book's author, Stephen Rebello. Stephen, welcome. Hello. It's nice to be with you. How are you, sir? I'm fine. I don't drink coffee, so... um I mean, that makes me a freak, doesn't it? I was listening to your list. It's a fabulous list you have. Thank you. And, and so, I'm, I'm also ve- I'm also vegan, so oh, um, so there's you. that. So you're not being gouged by coffee or by lobster mac and cheese. Correctamundo. Yes, Stephen. The story. Yeah. Yes, go ahead. I thought you were starting to say something. Okay, the story you've told is very much the story of author Jacqueline Suzanne. And she was really as much of an over-the-top character as any one of the characters that that she created. Correct? Yeah, yeah, I would say that. I mean, she was, you know, what we would call a self-actualized woman. I mean, I remember her as a kid. I grew up in New England, and I remember her um, on television, and I just thought she was this fantastic, like, space alien because she was... So big and so, um, you know, so made up and so many wigs and uh, always had snappy things to say. And I thought, that's that's what I'd want my Auntie Mame to be. If they were an Auntie Mame, it'd be Jacqueline Suzanne because she'd be um, hilarious and sophisticated with the people that she needed to be and really filthy, down dirty when she needed to be in private. So, I, you know, I always thought Jacqueline Suzanne was just an incredible, extraordinary woman and... Um, you know, with all the women in this book, as I researched and dug in and interviewed, I, I just found that their stories were so, you know, deep and twisty and interesting, far more so than I thought. Uh, well, look, look at the, this way. The, the three actresses you mentioned, their personal lives were so much more interesting than the women they played in the movie. And Jacqueline Suzanne's personal life was uh, so rich and deep and tragic and funny. Um that it, it was kind of a revelation as I was doing the book. How old were you when you first became aware of the book? Uh, oh, that's an interesting question. I, you know, my mom kept it. I have to be little because my mom kept it um, in a secret drawer in in her bedroom, as she had you know books like Peyton Place and Harold Robbins Pot Boilers and all that stuff. But you know, look, I always knew where they were, so. Uh, and I was precocious. I mean, I started reading when I was, I think I was five when I started reading. Um, but, um, I, you know, I, I found the book. Everybody was talking about that book at the time. It was on TV and it was in magazines. And so, um, you know, I popped it open and I, you know, I was, I was literally that kid that read with a flashlight under the covers because it was a naughty book. I mean, I'd go to, I'd go to church and, hi, pup. Um, Sorry I'd go about to my church dog. And, um, Oh, no, I love dogs. Uh, you know, you go to church and the, the priest from the pulpit would be yelling about, you know, you're going to go to hell if you read this book. And if you go see that movie, terrible things will happen to you. And I was going, bring it. Uh, right. But anyway, I, I, I thought that, uh, you know, I thought that it was, you know, a page turner and I loved it. And I couldn't wait, uh, you know, to see the movie. And I was, uh, you know, I was not allowed to see the movie by my parents. And, of course, that made it all the sexier. So... You know, I sneaked off with some friends and, you know, we went to see it in Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah, you talk it, about that in the book. Now, yeah, I do. Jack, I do. Jacqueline Suzanne tried to be many things before she became a writer. And you describe in the book that when she decided to write a novel, she went about it in a very strange way. She, she diagrammed other popular novels at the time and sort of broke them down into their essentials, right? It, it, she had a weird process yeah. going on. It's yeah, and that's really it is a really interesting process, but it's not that rare. And here's where it comes from: uh, when 
writers in Hollywood were assigned to, uh, you know, to, to do the screen adaptations of famous novels, they would often take the book and, uh, you know, get copies of it and you actually cut out, slice out sections and, you know, begin to put them up on whiteboards uh, on the wall to, you know, to you know, just give you the shape of what what you needed to cover to please the audience. You know what I mean? Like, what were the high points of the novel? So in Jackie's case, Jackie came from the theater and she came from press agentry and, you know, be, you know wanting to be an actress and all that. So she was really hip to all of that stuff. And so she would take books uh, by the you know, the big male uh, best-selling sex author of the time. And that was uh, Harold Robbins, you know, who wrote The Carpetbaggers and The Adventurers and all that uh, groovy stuff. Um, and, you know, she did a lot of things for him. So she would she'd buy his novels, or especially the most recent one um, of that time, and she literally cut out all the pages and, uh, you know, charted the characters and charted the, the ebb and flow of the story and, and from Harold Robbins, too. She also took the idea of the Ramana Clay, the whole idea of who are these people? Right. Who, are the, who are these characters, really? And so she semi-fictionalized some of them. And, um, you know, I mean, it was fa- she was so brilliant because she knew that and she knew all these people and she knew all the dirty secrets. Uh, or, all just, you know, they're not even dirty, they're just human. Uh, so she knew all this stuff about people, and um, she knew that if the book got published, uh, you know, there'd be a great, great guessing game as to, you know, was this character really Marilyn Monroe, or was, you know, was this character Grace Kelly, or, you know, was this Judy Garland and all that. So, yeah, that was her M.O., and she was great at it. Let's talk about that, because you you, you describe um, a lot of people, real-life people in the book, on whom these characters were based. And some of them were um, sort of a, a, an amalgamation of, of different people. But there was one actress that you mentioned named Carol Landis, who I had not yeah. been familiar with. Who was Carol Landis, and how does she turn up in Valley of the Dolls? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, Carol Landis was um, one of the many um, actresses that Daryl Evzanik, who was the head of Fox Studios, 20th Century Fox, uh, put under contract. He always liked blonde women and dark-haired men. So you had um, people like Alice Faye and Betty Grable and Carol Landis and, uh, you know, the great dark men, as they used to call them, uh, Tyrone Power and Cesar Romero and Don Amici. So... Uh, Carol Landis was this uh, really beautiful, blonde, stacked showgirl uh, type, um, maybe minimally talented as an actress, but um, very beautiful and actually quite smart and lovely and sexy. And, uh, you know, the, one of the rumors about poor Carol Landis is that um, she was one of the people that Zanuck had under contract and had some kind of uh, you know, codicil or, you know, some kind of uh, clause in the contract that said that she had to be available to him sexually. And um, he just exploited the hell out of her, uh, whether or not that's true. He exploited the hell out of her. And uh, she was a really bright, sensitive, gorgeous woman who had a terribly disastrous affair with the actor Rex Harrison. Um, if people remember him, they may remember him sure. from uh, you know, probably uh, My Fair Lady or The Agony and Ecstasy. Um, but uh, he was married and he wouldn't marry her. And she um, she was bisexual, which was also fabulous. And Jackie had an affair with her, Jackie Suzanne. And um, she became the character of Jennifer North uh, in uh, Valley of the Dogs, married with Mar- uh, lots of uh, information from Marilyn Monroe. Uh, and the role, of course, was played by a tragic actress in another way, Sharon Tate. Yeah. So, so that, that's a long answer, but that's kind of that's kind of how it uh, how it became uh, Jennifer North. And she, it's interesting. You mentioned Jacqueline Suzanne's bisexuality. She seemed rather, you know, matter of fact about it. I mean, she she had, uh, you know, many famous relationships with men, including her husband, Irving Mansfield, to whom she was married for decades, and yet she regularly had affairs with women and didn't seem bothered by it in the least. She seemed sort of comfortable in her bisexuality. It seemed from everything I've read. 
I agree. Yeah, I, th- I think she was. And I, and I think I'm glad that you mentioned Irving because, you know, sometimes people just think of him as a joke or a sidebar. But that was a real love story. Those two those two were really close. I think he understood her. Um, he was modern in that he understood her needs and he knew that she would come back to him and uh she understood his needs. He had um, high, you know, very high-priced uh, a series of uh, prostitutes, uh, sex workers that he would go to, and and, uh, and they seemed, you know, they seemed cool with it because the, their foundation was pretty solid. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that I, I mean, I love that you're talking about Jackie Suzanne because or asking about her because she was, I just think, a very modern woman and um you know the odd thing though adam about her uh, bisexuality is that um she wasn't cool with writing about gay guys but she was cool yeah she about was she was nasty writing. toward gay men at least in her really? books yeah yeah in her books i mean apparently in in real life she was pretty great um with gay guys and had lots of gay friends and was and and didn't have that thing but in books in her book, somehow she took the uh, she took kind of a moralistic, nasty uh, tone, which I, I, I know rubs a lot of us, uh, you know, gay, straight, bi, whatever, uh, the wrong way, and I and I get it. Um, but I mean, I think, but you know, we're talking about in her real life, she she seemed to be a pretty cool lady. Um, you know, she had affairs with Ethel Merman and Coco Chanel, and and, and lots of uh, lots of people, and lots of as you said. A famous man, and she was really attracted to uh, older men, Jewish comedians. Yeah, old Jews. O- o- <laughs> older men with lar- older men with large penises. Older men with large penises. I mean, I think that's pretty much. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But, but no, no, we love Jackie for that too. Uh, but she liked, you know, she liked a, a snappy, funny guy because she was she was a really sophisticated, funny, quippy woman, and she, um, she was what used to be called yeah, a broad. A broad, oh man, I wish there were still broads. I loved broads. Stephen, um, you mentioned, I, but, yeah. so, sorry, you mentioned Carol Landis as being um, sort of a, a model for the Jennifer North character. Let's go through the other main characters. Uh, who was Neely sure. O'Hara supposed to be? Well, I mean, I think, you know, the, the big the big takeaway that anyone had, I think, reading that book and still does is that, oh man, that's Judy Garland, uh, uh, pretty much to a T. Uh, the, the when uh, Jackie came to uh, New York uh, from mainline Philadelphia, she, as you know, she um, she roomed at a uh, an all woman home uh, house hotel, uh, and one of the one of the people that she boarded with was this young sort of waifish vaudeville veteran, you know, very very short, scrappy girl whose name was Elfie. Uh, and it's not too far to go from Elfie to Neely. And, and, uh, she, you know, she was from the showbiz family. She was tough. She came up hard. She didn't have a dime. She wasn't very well read. Um, but Jackie befriended her and they befriended each other. And she was another, uh, you know, influence on the Neely, uh, O'Hara character, which is, you know, I mean, it's, it's almost, I, you know, when I meet people, either they love, Neely most, or they love Helen Lawson most. Um, well, Neely, you know, I Neely's love kind of a bitch. I mean, she's sort of a, a manipulative, scheming person. And from from everything I've heard about Judy Garland, that was not the case. Um, right. She was a very nice, right. lovely person. But I think what they had in common was the you know this enormous talent combined with with the self destruction. Exactly, the enormous talent uh, without very many life skills. Uh, Terrible insecurities that led them to making terrible choices in men and uh, taking drugs and, 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 and boozing. And, and, and that's really exactly where it comes from. It's the massive talent and the, the discomfort in being a human and the inability to find love that, that really come from Judy Garland and are fed into Neely. You know, as you know, if you read the Neely O'Hara of the book, she's much more nuanced and multidimensional yes. than the film where you get kind of the one note, but, um, it's a shame. Cause I, I mean, I wish some of that extra stuff was in, uh, you know, was in the movie. So we'd have a, 
a more rounded character. But you know what? We may not be talking about it if it were that good a movie. Right. <laughs> so, um, uh, so you know, it is it is what it is. But Neely is a really fascinating character. So the Barbara Parkins character, I can't remember the character's name right now. Uh, uh, yeah, Ann Wells. Anne. You know, I'm here who's for the, you. Who, thank Don't you, worry. Stephen. I appreciate it. Who, who's the model <laughs> for Ann Wells? Well, uh, you know, Jackie herself is is a lot of uh, Ann Wells, and and of course, when um, when Barbara Parkins was cast, Jackie and, and Barbara became very close. Uh, Jackie often would say that you know tell Barbara that she's like the daughter that she never had, and she get talking about their their physical uh, resemblance. At least Jackie saw it that way, and then yeah. they, they got very Jackie close. Jackie wished she looked like Barbara Parkins. Barbara Parkins was gorgeous. <laughs> Absolutely, that's right. So, but look, we can we can forgive Jackie for that. Um, they had similar hair, you know, right? Um, yes. And I, th- I think Jackie Jackie also saw herself as a, you know, as a classy, uh, you know, woman who was brought up correctly, and and uh, and you know, and Barbara Parkins certainly had that, uh, you know, that beautiful cultured voice and that you know that uh, sort of cool Grace Kelly uh, kind of thing. But you know, Grace Grace Kelly is another. A little bit of uh, an influence on um, on the Ann Wells character, and uh, there's a, there's a, a couple of Jackie's friends, um, you know, with whom she palled around, who were also uh, who also fit into it. So you know, it's, as you said earlier, it's those characters are amalgamations of a lot of people, and it's part of the guess who don't sue routine, which is right because well, they were so afraid of getting sued. Now, obviously, Helen Lawson has to be mostly based on Ethel Merman. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, with whom Jackie had an affair. So I would say ninety percent uh, Ethel Merman. There's some certainly some Betty Hutton uh, in there. I, there's certainly some Mary Martin. So, so much so that Mary Martin, when she read the book and and uh, and, and others, you know, was poised to sue. I, I mean, even Sophie Tucker, if you can remember yes. that far back, the, the vaudevillian actress uh, and singer uh, Sophie Tucker read it and said, well, that's me, and I'm going to sue that bitch. Um, but, um, yeah, so, again, uh, uh, there are elements, a little, you know, it's like Dolly Levi, I put my hand in here, I take a little from here and right. there, and it all becomes a character. But, you know, let's not make any mistake, Jackie Suzanne was very, very gifted in creating really big, larger-than-life uh, characters that made you want to turn the page or made you want to see the movie. So the book comes out and before it even becomes the, the massive bestseller that it did, Hollywood is jumping on it for the movie rights and, uh, you know, pre-production starts and you describe this torturous process of multiple screenwriters, multiple directors, you know, people getting hired and fired. Why was this movie so hard to make and why, was the end product such a disappointment to Jackie herself and to so many others? Yeah, well, uh, part of it is that the novel is, you know, it's like basically three decades. And so there was always the issue of, are we going to do all that story or are we going to boil it down? And so that became, you know, this, you mentioned this uh, multiple screenwriters. That was part of the problem. And then it was decided pretty early on where they would focus on, uh, as concentrated as a time period as they could, it would save money in terms of period cars and costumes and budget, uh, you know, that kind of budgetary stuff. And uh, it would uh, save money on uh, characters aging and having to do makeup and those kinds of wigs and all that. So there was that. And there was the rush. I, you know what, Adam? They kept thinking this book is not going to be on the bestseller list that much longer. It's a freak success to begin with. We better get this thing in theaters quick. And the faster they tried to, um, the worse it turned out. They went after many, many actors. Uh, Candace Bergen sort of gamed them for at least six, seven months because they wanted her to play Anne. They wanted Barbara Streisand to play Neely. She was pregnant. Can you imagine Barbara Streisand? That would have been fabulous. Epic. And she could have done her own singing. Yes. And she would have sounded like Neely O'Hara, like someone who's so good 
that you have to sit up and pay attention. Right. You know, and then it was Raquel. It was going to be Raquel Welch right. and Margaret or any number of people, uh, in, you know, in different roles, whether it was going to be Neely or it was going to be uh, Jennifer. So the, the casting was a mess. Meanwhile, Daryl Zanuck is yelling at his son. Look, in the in the 40s, I would have put Carol Landis as, uh, you know, Jennifer. I would have put Jean Tierney as Anne Well. You know, we could have done this in 22 weeks instead of, you know, months and months and months. So, you know, it was a mess. And I think, um, I think the, unfortunately, the wrong screenwriter said yes. Um, and the right screenwriter said no. The right directors like Joe Mankiewicz, you know, All About Eve, uh, uh, People Will Talk, A Letter to Three Wives, he said no. Uh, Ernest Lehman, the screenwriter of North by Northwest and From the Terrace, uh, Sound of Music, he said no. So they got who they got. And then they decided we're, we're not going to spend money on the big movie stars. And, uh, you know, we're going to get, you know, youngish newcomers uh, who can be gotten inexpensively. And not that they were bad. It's just then they got a director who was, um, you know, just he just Mark Robeson, who was just ill-equipped, I think. To he was wrong to for beings. it. Um, yeah, and he, he was, was he was the wrong guy. He had no sense of that world, and and I think the right director could have made it funny and light and campy. It didn't. It, I think he tried to make a serious movie, and it came off ridiculous. Yeah, well, that's that's how it works. I mean, that's that's the definition of the bad movie we love. If if they're all trying so hard, and they and none of them seem to be in on this, what we're doing is really awful, and they're emoting like blazes and it's all you know going cattywampus and haywire that's kind of the definition of how a bad movie happens you know i mean mark robson got hired because he made something really special and big out of the movie peyton place right you know multiple oscar nominations so they figured oh he's good with young women and he knows how to do sex in a way that is still sort of bold but we can get it past the censors so i i sort of get why he um i sort of get why he was chosen but he just seemed to have no idea how to talk to women no idea how to capture that world as you just said so well and and um he just he didn't even know how to deal with the drugs it's just okay here are pills we don't really know why they're taking them but right. uh we'll we'll have the actress spin the bottle around and fall in the fall in the malibu sand and you know you'll fill in the details and man that's not how it works so and 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 of course you know poor patty duke who was going through terrible terrible mental uh you know mental issues uh was just out of whack and needed and needed help and wasn't getting any and needed a better director they were just yeah, we we just have a couple yeah, minutes she, left, Stephen. I just I just want to quickly okay. ask you about the fact that Judy Garland was supposed to play Helen Lawson. What went wrong? Mm. Uh, probably hiring her. Um, I th- you know, <laughs> she was she was a Shade. great choice in terms. She, <laughs> oh yeah, she was a great choice in terms of big big star. You know, big voice and. She certainly had the, oh, my God, but Judy Garland is a character in the novel. What is she doing in the movie? I mean, all of that was very smart on the part of 20th Century Fox. But the director treated her like crap. Uh, she wasn't meant to uh, ever to feel secure or cared about or even wanted for the movie. I think Mark Robeson wanted Susan Hayward from the get-go, and uh, Judy was set up um, for publicity. I think they said, let's pay her a lot of money. She's probably not going to make it going to make it through. But if we pay her a lot of money, she won't sue us. Uh, it would have been so know, interesting to quick. see Judy Garland play a villain because we never got to see that. I couldn't think of a single role of Judy's where she was anything but but a, a sweet and lovely person. So I, I would have loved to have seen her. Yeah. Uh, and for me, me the, too. the biggest mistake in the movie, the, the thing that most leaps out of me every time is when Neely O'Hara pulls off uh, Helen Lawson's wig the hair she's got underneath is just as nice as the wig why didn't they just put yep. her in a ball in a wig cap or or put her in a bald cap it makes no fucking sense because Susan Hayward uh, was very pretty and had an ego and refused to do it uh, it's if, no if you sense. see in the book 
No, it makes no sense at all. And, and, she, and she looked beautiful. Dolls, <laughs> you know, dolls, dolls. Deep Inside Valley of the Dolls is on sale now wherever books are sold, including Amazon.com. It is a paperback book, so that makes it ideal for beach reading. Stephen, how can people follow you uh, or follow the book online? Uh, you can find me on Facebook, on Instagram. Uh, the book is available everywhere, and it's a bestseller, and I'm very grateful. Yes, and the reviews have been terrific. I loved reading it. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Ryan and JB, plug yourselves. You can follow me at Ryan Frosting on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow me at StockingAnarchy12 on Instagram. Thank you again to Stephen Rebello, Ryan, and JB. The Ass will be back next week with a brand new live episode and our special guest, YouTube star Colin O'Leary. Subscribe to this podcast at dnrstudios.com. Don't forget to order your ass merch at adamsank.com and nominate us at podcastawards.com. Follow me, me, on Twitter and Instagram at Adam Sank. Email me at adam at adamsank.com. Have a great week, bitches. Bye. Bye.